Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon, and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ila, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one -one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. Weekly, our weekly podcast about religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, and everything in between. We're going to continue a little bit of our uh, our pre-Rosh Hashanah theme as we discuss the topic of Chodesh Elo. I'm here with Harvinit Mali Brasky. Hello, Harvinit Mali Brasky. Hello. Hi. And Rav Johnny Solomon. Hello, Rav Johnny Solomon. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Rav Johnny, based on your suggestion, we decided today to talk about Minhagay. Chodesh Elo, practices in Chodesh Elo. And so when I looked it up in the Shulchan Aruch, in, Sim, in Simen Tuf Kuf Hey Aleph, the Shulchan Aruch talks about, well, the Svaradim say Slichot, all of Chodesh Elo, right? And Ramah, of course, adds that we Ashkenazim, or sorry, I, he says, B'nai Ashkenaz, we don't do that. Rather, we just blow the shofar. But everyone agrees that there's something about this month uh, that, that, uh, sort of calls us, obviously, the call of the shofar, this custom, the call of the shofar, is calling us to do something. So I guess our question is, what is it calling you to do? Yeah, the okay, question. Okay, so, <laughs> that's a funny question. So uh, I'll answer the question in two parts. I'm going to mention a couple of the more classic Minhage Elul that have been brought down by different Sfarim, um, and I think are known by many, if not practiced by all. And then I'll mention also some of the things that I do which are not mentioned in any particular book. But I think that part of this conversation is about exploring not just what do Jews do, but what do we as Jews do um, in terms of our you know, living Chodesh Elul and preparing for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. So amongst the classic things we, we mentioned last time in our last recording, we spoke about Slichot, and as you mentioned uh, just now about the blowing of the shofar, and we say Le David, and uh, that's about it in terms of what we discussed then. But certainly, most people um, seem to view Chodesh Elul as a time of starting to make peace if they've had ruptured relationships, you know, trying to seek slicha to one another. Many people reflect on mortality, so there's a custom to go to Kvarim of relatives or to Kivrei Tzadikim. 
That's certainly something which is recorded. Many people try and make a cheshbon, not just with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and with others, but also literally with their outgoings and if they are owing of tzedakah. They try and make that right before the end of the Jewish year. Uh, it's a minag to check tefillin and mezuzahs, not every year, but if you do it, many people do so um, in Chodesh Elul, and that's something which I'm uh, somewhat particular about. Uh, and, and many people, when they write to one another in Chodesh Elul, obviously up until Yom Kippur, uh, you know, wish each other Shana Toba, Chsiva uh, just generally goodwill messages. So those, I would say, are fairly well-known practices. Again, I- even if you both don't do all of those, I don't think they come as necessarily such a surprise that people often go to cemeteries, even, in, you know, it, when I, I come from the United Kingdom, and even a classic United Synagogue would have buses to the, clo- the local cemeteries around about this time of year because people try and make an effort to do so, uh, and so friend will try and reach out to communities if people want to check to the mezuzahs, etc., etc. In terms of me, uh, I'm going to mention um, was it two or three things which I do, which maybe others don't do necessarily so much, and perhaps that may speak to people. Um, number one is, in addition to what we said, so obviously this doesn't negate the importance of considering the the healthy nature of relationships and trying to make peace between ourselves and others, ourselves and God and ourselves and ourselves. But one thing that I wrote some years ago, and I think I mentioned to you before, is an ethical will, uh, a really a description of who I am and how I want to live. Uh, people often think of ethical wills as things that people write uh, when they get much older. That's certainly not the only way to do that. It's not the way I believe it should be done. In fact, really, it's a, almost a spiritual testimonial about how I want to live, which should then help me live according to the way I've instructed myself. And every Chadashel, I take out my ethical will, and I ask myself, how am I doing? Whether I need to add things, things have changed in my life for the past year that I think are important to include, or whether things that I just want to do better as myself. So I'm holding myself to account according to me. Um, uh, and having, I think, something written down about yourself, which is written for you and also others, I think is a very beneficial thing to do. Sadly, there are times where there are practices of parents which unfortunately aren't even known until they pass on uh, to their children. I believe an ethical will is a way to make sure a person, even whether they're a parent or not, lives according to the expectations of themselves. So that's one of the things I do in Chodesh which is I revisit my ethical will um, and ask myself, how am I doing and what should be added, etc. Another thing uh, is, and there's a practice of accepting Kabbalahs on ourselves. Uh, it's a mention in Shulchan Aruch, based on Yerushalmi, especially during the Aseret Meitshuvah, uh, we adopt perhaps what we may call a chumrah, or may not necessarily even be a chumrah, may well be something we're just supposed to do. Um, and I try and spend Chodesh Elul saying, what, what am I ready to adopt? And one need not necessarily keep that practice beyond the Aseris Meitshuvah, but in general I endeavor to do so. So I spend a bit of time asking myself, where am I, where do I need some support, where can I make changes, and what am I prepared to do, you know, 
not just in terms of correcting my flaws, but perhaps trying to upgrade the way I live as a Jew. And so that's uh, something I do. And one final thing I'll mention, and I'll throw it out to you both. Uh, there was a lovely story I read some many years ago in Rabbi, one of Rabbi Krohn's books. It's a story of Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, who used to go to Yad Shalom. Uh, according to one version, I think he went Erev Rosh Hashanah, another Erev Yom Kippur. He used to go there, he used to daven there. And the reason he did so is, he basically said, if Davon Melech could love Avshalom, who was so rebellious, and he didn't give up hope on his rebellious son, HaKadosh Baruch please don't, don't give up hope on me. And since hearing that story and making Aliyah, I've tried, I've been there maybe four or five times over the last ten, especially the past couple of years because of Corona, that's been difficult. But I've tried to make it to Yad of Shalom at some point uh, in the Chodesh Elul or in the Aseret's Meit um, kind of to mirror that sentiment. I find it to be a very beautiful one. And just as a, a quick uh, further layer of it, when talking with somebody recently who had a strained relationship with their child, I mentioned this Hanhaga, and it really spoke to them as well. The idea of going to somewhere and reminding themselves not to give up on their kids because the whole idea of Hashan and Yom Kippur is we ask God not to give up on us. So those are the things that many people do, and those are the things that I do. I don't know if they speak to you, but that's what I try to do. Thank you, Johnny. Uh, Molly, what do you do? Um, okay, so first of all, I, I like, I, I, when Johnny raised this, I thought it was such an interesting topic. Um, and it really got me thinking. First of all, um, if you, those of you who listened last week, I had mentioned this sense, especially that, that, that I've encountered with many, many women that have become so busy with life, and I'm sure this is true of men also, that um, when they move out of that uh, younger, idealistic, perhaps yeshiva phase, they find Elul much more challenging. And so when Johnny mentioned this idea of like, well, what are the habits of, 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 of Elul? I was like, yeah, you know, that's not an answer. We should, we, we should kind of, first of all, remember about those minhagim um, and, and try to be thoughtful about them and incorporate them, right? Meaning I think it's not hard, to, meaning not everybody is able to go to shul every morning and hear the chauffeur. Um, and maybe not everybody's dominating you know, as regularly as they would like to, but but something like Ladavid Hashem is something that I think is relatively not difficult to bring in. And and I and I really believe that that putting doing these little things really helps move us into the season of of the Amim No Ra'im and put us in the right mindset. Um, me personally, again, I think it's I, um, it's interesting when, when Johnny asked the question I was like well what do we do so again I was thinking exactly I was thinking of the chauffeur the days I'm lucky enough to let's say be teaching and I'm there in time for the chauffeur blowing in the school or Shir Hamalos so uh, you know all of a sudden I'm like Wait, why, why are you singing it to Enkel Okeno and then my husband's like no that we're, we're singing it to Hamalach Basadeh because it's Elo um, you know and I was like oh that's beautiful so you know like incorporating certain songs when when I'm it's not familiar with the that. They do that in your show? No, David decided. It was, you know, it's Elo, let's sing Hamalach Basadeh. Let's sing Shir Hamalach. Listen, we're Yekim. We have a Shir Hamalach. We have a tune for almost every Shir Hamalach of the year. It's amazing. Unrelated to anything else. That's a side conversation. And then <laughs> then on some um, Torah, you have the Yaris Kaddish. Where you know you them all? Every single, you know all the I tunes? know most of them. And um, 
Um, my uncle, who was they the always sound the very German flame, to me. Very, German. they are very German. They are indeed extremely German. Um, <laughs> so there was a recording also of them, so they will never get lost. I bezrah Hashem. Also, different communities and have some different um, tunes. But yes, we definitely have a. There's there there are definitely the ones that are Yaharag Val Yavor. Okay, but that's a, you know Pesach Shavuos. <laughs> uh, you know um, Tishabav. Uh, there's more, but uh, basically, Chagim, the Jewish calendar. Anyway, Anyhow. that's one of the reasons. That's one of the reasons we love uh, Yekim. But um, when Johnny now just started Wait, talking, I'm sorry, I have to interrupt you. As Yekim go, we had a, we had a family bar mitzvah of my wife's uncle, who's a big time Yeki, and he had a vimple. Like for, I the have mitzvah, for the bar mitzvah yeah. boy that they used at his bris, bris or something, of course, and then he wrapped a vimple. Around yes. the Torah. That's what did, you do. Right. And he you started know, I, crying when he started thinking about the Bar Mitzvah boys. Uh, okay. Chuppah. I don't know when they used it for the chuppah, but Bar Mitzvah boy really was a little overwhelmed yes. by the whole thing. We we have a vimple from my grandfather in Germany that says on it, Judenraus, because they, they would take the vimple after the bris and they would wrap the Sifrei Torah in it. Mm. Um, and after Kristallnacht, the the shul was vandalized and clearly somebody had written on it. It says Judenraus. I believe it also has a swastika on it. And oh. one of my family's one one of my family's non Jewish neighbors found it, recognized it, and brought it to my great great grandmother and said, "I don't I think this is from the shul," and it happened to have been my grandfather's vimple with his name on it, and we 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 have that vimple, so that's just a, a well we digress again, anyhow <laughs> we digress but again good for Yekim and you know what it, it's related because it's the, the power of rituals and the power of customs. So when Johnny was talking, another one that I personally do is where we always do a backyard hataris nadarim for the women, which we don't really have to do technically anymore because everybody can find one and the shul does one, but it's become a ritual. And sometimes it's Erev Rosh Hashanah and sometimes it's Erev Yom Kippur, but it's become something that we do as a community. Like our block, everybody comes together and we all say hataris nadarim together. Um, and when Johnny was talking, when he started talking about the like, are you mochel me? It just like, zoomed me right back to my elementary school. I always talk about this, my like Yeshivish Haredi elementary school and the atmosphere of Elul, the mitzvahgrams. You would send each other, everybody would send to their friends a mitzvahgram, asking Mechila, telling them something nice about themselves and it had a, it had a candy on it. It was usually in shape of fish because it was Elul, you know, those, those gummy fish? Those were the mm-hmm. mitzvahgrams. Um, you know, uh, this sense, Johnny's right, that the sense it's Elul. We have to make up with our friends. We have to make sure that we're treating our friends super nice. I, I remember the feeling in the school um, that, that the feeling of Elul was in the air. Closing open debts is a big deal. That's something that we do, as, I, I try to do as a family. It's like, oh my gosh, if I, if I haven't returned somebody's book or, you know, I, I don't know, I haven't, uh, I promised to, to give stucca for something and I haven't done that. Certainly by Oshana Rabba, because that's the absolute deadline. But if we can get it done in Elul, it's literally, it's not I've a joke. It's like, oh my time. gosh, Oshana Rabba's coming. But, but my, my larger point is, so I think we, I, I think that there's a lot of value to this idea. Um, you know, I have a whole shelf behind me of um, books about the way that you build uh, character and and, and habits, right? So there's a book called Tiny Habits, and maybe all of you have heard of the book Atomic Habits, which has become very popular. And what else do I have back here? Um, in mindfulness, there's this new idea called Kaizen, I think, which is also about building tiny habits. I'm just looking behind me to see if there's anything else about habits that I have behind me. Okay, nothing, nothing else that I can recommend. But the point being that we're, be, we're realizing more and more that the way to change behavior is to change 
are small actions. And that if you can make those actions easy to do and accessible, that will kind of um, trickle in and, and uh, all right, and the other thing that I thought of was the Rav Soloveitchik's famous vort, which is a little bit more of a somber topic, but about the difference between Avelos and Tishabov, right? Where he says in Avelos, you start with the most intense, you have the Shiva, then you have the Shloshim, then you have the year. And with Tishabov, you build up to the intensity, right? You have the three weeks, then you have the nine days, you have to Shavuot Shachalba, then you have Tishabov. And he said that's in line with, with the human psychology. In Avelos, the feeling is there naturally, the intensity is there naturally, and you have to kind of wean a person out of it. Whereas when it comes to Tishabov, it's not necessarily there naturally, and so we have to build it up. And I think, therefore, and again, this relates back to our conversation last week, Ruby, I think um, Johnny was astute in, in, in kind of raising this, that like, the idea of, of trying to figure out how we're going to build up, even in the smallest ways, is really, um, it's a very helpful way of, of framing and moving into Tukfot HaChagim in a meaningful way so that it's all one retzef, from Ashchodesh Elol, through Aser Simei Tshuva, through Rosh Hashanah, and Yom Kippur, and then culminating in the joy of Sukkot. And if we if we think about it as a retzef and we're, and retzef and we're thoughtful about incorporating it that way, I think I think it also first of all it's it's more powerful and it can also maybe as we discussed last week last with us longer which again does not mean that there there isn't aren't those years um, for most of us many of us perhaps where it's like catches us unaware and we we're like okay I think I have to associate this year more more with um, what was his name Elisha Bentodaya the one who was Konel Amovich Achad and died you know, saying tshuva at the last moment. It's a very famous Rabbi tell story, right? Where he was just like a sinner and a sinner and a sinner and then he just sat on the grounds and he, he heard there's no... Tshuva, right, and he cried and died and then they came out the baskel yeshkonel And sometimes I feel like that's that's my Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur where it's like, I totally forgot a Kodesh Baruch Hu. I'm so sorry I didn't do my like tshuva and now it's Erev Yom Kippur and you know, I didn't... You know what John described as an ethical will. I didn't do my 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 moral inventory and a kodesh And sometimes it does catch us unawares. But if if we, especially in our busy lives, if we can try to put in small doable habits, I think it's very powerful. And and I, and I really appreciate that 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 we raised it because it was helpful for me. Okay, uh, I'm going to share a couple of things, and then Molly, I'm going to throw a question back at you. Um, put on your put on your social worker hat. I guess uh, for me, um, the thing that I do, I, you know, I, I actually try very hard. I, I, I dive in every day, but I try very hard to like make sure that I'm there when they're blowing the shofar and to listen to it. Like that's a thing for me that it really like makes me aware. And then as slichot come, I find slichot very, very challenging. Mm-hmm. They're challenging for a number of different number of reasons. First reason is like you're on a schedule. Like I, I, mean, I don't know. I'm sure women have their own busy house family schedules but you know if for men who go to shul in the morning or you know like and that you incorporate you have to add all the other stuff that you do and then you have to add another like 20 minutes 25 minutes half an hour what have you that's one challenge and for me like I, I'm recording a mission or uploading I'm all, like the morning's busy and so to add half an hour to that to the morning is, is very challenging and I'm a morning person I, I just like I I don't know Johnny you strike me as a chatzot slichot person. I don't know if you do it, but that, that's how you strike me. I, I, I endeavor, well, I like, I used to be that kind of person, but I'm more of a morning person now. But it's, it's also tough. 
Correct. The mornings, and, and we haven't even gotten into the ten thirty slicha, which I'm like against, and uh, whatever. Like, but slicha is also challenging in another way, and that it's very hard to find it meaningful. It's mm-hmm. just really hard. Slicha are hard. Um, so I try to do that, and I kind of see like the whole process of slichot as a slog, like as designed as a marathon to get you to Yom Kippur, in a sense that you, you know Yom mm-hmm. Kippur is a culmination. It's like I, I think I've said this, but maybe I've said, have I mentioned this before? Like there's a thing I've definitely heard in the name of Rabbi Dan mentioned it. Like Yom Kippur is leading to Neila, and when you get to Neila, if you said all the slichot, you start you're like, hey, we said that one, and we said that one, and we said that one, and we said that one. And it's almost, and it, now all we have time for is just to say the, you know, the, the main pasuk of whatever the stanza was on that day of Slichot, you know, and then like, you understand that it was all leading up to and building up to. So for me, that, that's meaningful. I try to go to, I don't know when it became relatives kvarim, like Johnny, the Shulchanar talks about kivrei tzadikim, that they should be as chut. <coughs> so we've turned that Correct. into... Correct. Well, so many people do... You know, it's, well, I think many people think that the custom is to go to cemeteries to remind themselves of mortality. Uh, I generally strive to go to Kivrei Tzadikim. Uh, yeah, I think I think amongst Amcha, it's become you go to the cemetery. You go to the cemetery, right. So you go to visit people. your relatives, not necessarily you go to visit Kivrei Tzadikim. Uh, I'm not a Kivrei Tzadikim guy, maybe too uh, Litvaki for that. But, but uh, I, Molly, so this is what I want to... I, I wanna, sort of pick up on something that you said and turn it more now into a little bit more of a conversation and, and that you mentioned like oh like it comes sometimes some years it comes up on you and like you know and oh i didn't do anything and i'll just have to be kona olami bishachat or whatever i don't find myself suffering from that problem as much as uh it, it, i think it's more i would say subconsciously intentional in that mm-hmm. um I, I, I you know it's very nice. It would be wonderful if we could all focus on, I want to improve my personality. What are the ways in which I can make myself better and see it from a positive standpoint? But uh, that's not the way the liturgy was designed and certainly not the way our you know, Ashkenazic uh, tradition has passed on to us. You know, what do we say? We say, tshuva, utfila, utstaka, ma'arvirin, et roa, hagzera. Basically, please God, don't slam me this year. I know a lot of people who suffered a lot, I had my own suffering, and I'm gonna make myself a little bit better in the hopes that I'm not on the bad list this year. You know, that's, it's a simplistic way of seeing things, but because of that, and I would add also, it's not fun. You know, the idea of doing what we would call cheshbon nefesh is, is hard, because you're really asking ourselves to look at ourselves in the mirror in an honest and open way and to evaluate our faults. And to say, where can I improve? And who was I nasty to? And why do I keep interrupting you people when you're trying to say things? And, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I find that aspect, maybe I'm not supposed to say this, but never stop me. That's one of the things I have to work on. I find that aspect of a yamim noraim that it's so negative. And, it really, and, and it's not focusing on the positive, not in my tradition at least. Um, like you said, hamelech basadeh. You know, we look at it, HaMelech Basadeh, so hunker down and, and hope that he doesn't smite you. <laughs> Whereas, I, I, I don't have a faith tradition that takes me to the other place where HaMelech Basadeh, let's celebrate the presence of the king. You know, like, the, like you know, and what's interesting to me is so much of Elul, Anil Dodi, Dodi Li, is all based on mystical sources. 
And those same mystical sources were sources of joy and excitement. But somehow we in our tradition have taken those you know, mystical sources and turned them into fear and dread. So uh, I, would say one th- I would say two things. First of all, what are tools, Molly, that you could present to us that would help us to face our demons, as you were, and uh, you know, look at yourself in the mirror in a nice way, in a gentle way, but be honest about it and, uh, and embrace it. And at the same time, I'm going to turn to Johnny afterwards and talk about, like, how do I, can I make it positive? Am I allowed to reject my tradition of negativity and make it into something that I'm looking forward to? Or am I just stuck with my own minhagim? I'm not a yeki, I'm a pola, I'm a Polish Jew. I'm a, I don't even know if I'm a Galician or what's the other one? Like, sad, you know, but, uh, you know, I'm just stuck with my tradition and suck it up and tshuva tzvila tzaka ma'avim and there. So I'm going to ask you first about, about embracing change. But, and I'll ask you to answer us right after we take a short break. Today, many Jewish families don't send their children to private Jewish day school. Some parents homeschool, others don't live near a school, and others simply cannot afford full-time Jewish day school. Each of these families needs a solution that offers their children serious Jewish learning. Kita can help. Kita is serious online Torah learning at an affordable price. With Kita, middle school-aged children receive up to four online lessons each week and also participate in weekly Zooms with other kids from around the world. For the coming school year, Kita offers two plans. In the Chumash and Navi plan, students will receive two self-guided lessons in Chumash Shmot and Navi Shmuel Aleph and then participate in a weekly Zoom. In the Mishnah and Gemara plan, Students will receive two self-guided lessons in Mishnah Brachot and Gemara Elu Metziot, and then participate in a weekly Zoom. Registration is now open for the fall of 2022, which begins on August 29th. Is your family new to Kita? You can register for a two-week trial at no cost. To learn more about how Kita can help your children grow and thrive in Jewish learning, visit kita.org. That's K-I-T-A-H dot O-R-G. Okay, we're back. Molly, how do we embrace change and see it as a positive and not procrastinate until the last minute when I have to write something down before Yom Kippur in order to actually something say Yeah, okay. Um, so it's funny because um, somebody, I was just asked um, to write a, a piece about this, about Dafka, about Vidoy and can Vidoy be emotionally healthy from a, from a, um, psychological, right. So I, 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 you know, um, it's not fair to like, you know, give it all away on RZ Weekly before I write it up for them, but... Um, give I'll, us a little taste. Give us a I'll taste. give, exactly, I'll give a little taste, which is that um, taking moral inventory is actually a very healthy thing to do psychologically, right? Again, and it's it's part of the 12 steps. This is what I mentioned last week, you know, like it's there, in there. Be, why? Because if we believe that, 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 happiness right joy i'm gonna use the word joy as opposed to happiness right that like true joy a true life where you feel serenity you feel fulfillment um like like has a steady baseline really comes from self-actualization right if you think of my higher maslow's hierarchy of self-actualization is what we were built for as human beings we were built to self-actualize but not just i don't mean self-actualization in the like modern like oh it gotta be me i mean in, in in the sense of like meaning and purpose and as religious jews i think what we're looking for is 
the meaning and purpose that God put us on this earth to do, right? Like, like, like how do I think I, sh- I could live in a way that is best fulfilling my potential as a human being and as a human being who is of service? So, so I think that that's, that, that now, now what's interesting is I, I just read this somewhere and I can't remember if it was of Avram Tursky or somebody named Avshai Taub. I'll have to look it up to see which one said this. But they said, notice that that step only comes, it's like number, I don't know, seven, eight, nine. So you can only get there after you've done the other steps, which puts you in a place where you have basically turned off your, turned over your life to God. You have realized that you can't do this stuff on your own. You have stopped kind of beating yourself up for things that, uh, meaning you, you've changed your perspective on yourself and you're no longer looking at yourself through your, your you know, whatever words you want to say, your Litvish, Ashkenazi, um, sh- shame eyes, right? Remember, I think we discussed girls versus shame last time, right? Where like, I'm such a bad person and, 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 and you're flagellating yourself, but rather you're looking at yourself through, um, I'll, I'll, I'll even say love eyes. I love myself. Hashem loves me. And Hashem created me to serve him out of love. And, and as long as I'm doing my best and, and, and I want to get to that place, I want to get to that place for myself because I will be happiest in that place. And I also know, Kaddish Baruch promised me that if I try this with sincerity, he will forgive me. I just saw a beautiful quote. My friend sent this to me. She said that Yehudi a Hasid, a Jew and a Hasid were walking down the street and the Hasid was crying. And the, the, the Hasid said to the Jew, the, the Jew was crying, meaning obviously the Hasid was also a Jew, but the, this was a terminology. And the Hasid said to the Jew, why are you crying? And he said, because, because I'm about to go before the judge and he's going to judge me. And that's terrifying, right? That's Ruby. And the Hasid was laughing. And the Jew said, why are you laughing? He said, because the judge is my father. And I thought that was very, very beautiful, right? Meaning the idea being, yes, you are going to be judged. But if we put ourselves in a place of trust, of trust in God, that God is not the punitive father, Ruby, that unfortunately too many traditions have kind of, um, you know, Form beat in into head. our heads. Beat into yes, beat into our heads. God <laughs> is the loving father, the loving parent. Last year, I heard a shiur by um, a, a woman in Migdal Oz, her Dina. I don't even know her last name, where she spoke about God as the mother, you know, whose child has gone out into the world and she's waiting for him to come home or her to come home, standing at the door, just waiting for 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 the child to return with that with that unconditional love that a parent has and i think if we can change our mindset and and i do think it has to do with trust because really trust like leap into that belief that dear shiva shem behimatso kiru biyotel karov all the shiva denachemta that's a kaddish baruch hu and even dodi vidodili and even all of it hamelech basadeh not hamelech basadeh about to shmeist you hamelech basadeh like the like the parent waiting for the child or whatever loving image the king who's waiting you know the Rabbi Nachman king who's just waiting for the prince to return I I, I believe that it's true I believe that it's true and I believe that um, that 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 you know something that we've discussed is this phenomenon of it's easier to feel in the time that we live in now 
we, we do feel like a time of, in Eretz Yisrael, I think at least, um, of a lot of, there, there's a lot more joy around the Amim Noraim than there was in the past, which is, is historically for good reason. Um, and when you talked about Slichot, right, uh, we've discussed this in past podcasts, right? But like, the way they do it at Migdalos is that they just kind of mumble the slicho part that you're talking about being really difficult and esoteric and difficult to get close to. They start with a sicha that's moving, mumble through the slicho part, and then they just sing their hearts out. Yeah, but that's, and, not, that's fine, but that's not slicho. But but maybe maybe it's maybe it's a way of incorporating right, and you know, John is our halachist here. The halachic part, so we're not going to skip that part, right? Meaning this is one of my pet peeves with my husband is like when he goes and like, oh, we're just doing the Sephardi slicho because they're a lot more fun. And he's like, but halachically I'm an Ashkenazi and I want to say my Ashkenazi slicho, so don't change my, the nusuch without asking me. So, you know, that's for the Rabbanim to figure out. But but there's I, there's always a way to, be, to have halachic integrity, but to also... Um, do things in a way that speaks to us. And I do think that that we, we are in a time, and Rav Cook even says this, Rav Cook says that, yeah, this is the last thing I'm going to say. Rav Cook says, if, if you try to do tshuva today, he actually says this, Ruby, he's like, wrote it for you. He said, if you try to do tshuva today, the way the old Musar Svarim tell you to do it, you're like missing the boat. He's like, first of all, it's not going to speak to you and it's just going to make you miserable. And he says, the way you have to do, the way you have to do tshuva today is much more in line with this sense that like um, we're in the, 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 um, you know, we're, 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 we're in this, we're at the, we're at the, we're at the beginnings of the redemption and, and the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is shining and tshuva should be coming from that perspective today. And he, he's like, gives you permission to say like the Muslims firm, that's fine, but that's not what we should be doing today. It's not where tshuva's at, which does not take away the responsibility to do the actual tshuva, but it, it frames it all from a very, in a very different way. Thanks. Johnny, you can either respond, you want to respond to Molly, or do you want to talk about, um, I would say the other side? Finding the finding the joy or seeing the seeing the yamin noreim as the opportunity, or maybe it's the same thing. So first, I I love what Mali said. Uh, I am gonna share some you know, further ideas which I think are, are likely to complement what's been said so far about yamin noreim and especially Rosh Hashanah as a day of opportunity. And I want to share with you an idea which I've recently been teasing out based on an essay of Hadari and a whole bunch of other Makarot that I'd never really paid enough attention to. And I want to share with you, shall we say, a different thesis about Rosh Hashanah. I don't know if you saw, I'm doing a four-part series in Elul. Each one is trying to find new ways to connect with Rosh Hashanah. And my first year was titled Deliberate Dreaming. And I want to share with you what I think is a new way of relating to Rosh Hashanah based on, you know, Sifrei Halacha Mashkova. So, when we think about Rosh Hashanah, just in terms of sleep, we often think Rosh Hashanah is the day that we wake up. You know, the Ramam talks about Uru, the whole idea of the shofar to wake you up. We think about the words in Yonah, Malach, Neudam, that's part of the Sephardic Slichot. Um, and uh, there's also a custom uh, recorded by the Ramah of not sleeping in the afternoon of Rosh Hashanah, although the Arizal says that after Chatzot you can. The whole idea generally is that you don't, that sleep on Rosh Hashanah aren't necessarily best friends, but there seems to be an excess interest in sleep on Rosh Hashanah. There's an interesting halach in the Shulchan Aruch, which says, what if you have a ta'anit chalom, sorry, if you have a bad dream on Rosh Hashanah that leads you to want to have a ta'anit chalom, 
then if you make a Tanit Chaloma Rosh Hashanah, you have to do it every year. As if to say, we are much more machmir if a person has a bad dream on Rosh Hashanah, that that person doesn't just have to fast that day, but they should fast every year. And nobody necessarily understands why. And the Marshal gives an answer. And he notes that there are a number of Gemarot, one in Bava Batra, two in Gemara Brachot, which talk about dreams on Rosh Hashanah, dreams that took place. Uh, in fact, Rav Hadari also notes that in fact, the Gemara Rosh Hashanah uh, tells us how Yosef came out of prison on Rosh Hashanah because Paro had a dream um, on Rosh Hashanah. And the Gemara also says how Sarah and Rachel and Chana had their dreams start to be fulfilled on Rosh Hashanah. So though there is a, a teaching about sleeping Rosh Hashanah, there's also actually significant teachings about dreaming or dreams of Rosh Hashanah. And this leads the Marashah to say something remarkable, which is when we dream on Rosh Hashanah, those dreams are more real, which is why if you have a bad dream, that Tanit Chalom takes on a whole another level. But on the flip side, if you dream on Rosh Hashanah, it's more likely to come to fruition. And if you process this idea, and I'm happy to send you some... Wait, this is a subconscious dream or a conscious dream? Ah, so one second. So let, let's explain and then, and then answer that question. So if you dream, dream, if you have a bad dream or shana, that's not a great thing, but also, it also means if you have a good dream or shana, it's more likely to take place. So what's the whole idea of talking about waking up on Mashashana? And yet there's also teaching about dreaming. Because there's two types of dreams. One is a dream you sleep, which you can't control. You go to sleep and a dream happens. One is also a dream that you have in the daytime, which oftentimes affects the dreams you have at nighttime. And I believe that Rosh Hashanah is Chag HaChalomot. It's a festival of dreams. It's a day in which we dream about who we can be. In fact, I believe that if you dream that in the daytime, may even come to uh, you know what you dream about in the nighttime. But the whole idea of dreaming is it should come to fruition in the coming year. And if you think this idea through, and the Marshal is very, very clear, you know, he says that on a number of places. I think this can be a radical shift in how we relate to the day. We don't say famously because we begin the year not looking backwards, but looking forwards. Rosh Hashanah is a day where we look towards who we can be. And so the whole idea of Elul towards Rosh Hashanah is about hope. It's about, in fact, in my Dafyomi commentary today, I wrote how Manachan Yodam is really about saying, why are you going to sleep? Because there is hope. There are things that can be done even in the eye of a storm. It's about hope. It's about dreams. It's about becoming who we can be. That's why I reevaluate my ethical will. I ask myself, who am I? Am I living up to my ideals? And is there more that I can do in my life? And so instead of fire and brimstone, I, I believe that Hashanah certainly is a day which is much, much more healthy, much more positive, to the point that I believe that the title, the Festival of Dreams, it could be attached to it. So I, I, and if you take that view, oh, it me, can sorry. transform everything. Please, ah. I'm done. So my only response to all this is, I mean, like, first of all, thank you both for, I, I think it is very inspiring. And I, 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 I definitely think focusing on the positive is important. My only response is that I, for that reason, I find the focus, especially, especially in the Shulchan Aruch, of like on the, like finding a Chumrah or like, you know, on the ritual element, 
I find it a little challenging because the, the, the areas in which I find myself wanting to improve are, I would say, interpersonal, are, are personal habits, are, you know what I'm saying, are, are areas in which, uh, you know, I want to improve the way I interact and the way I, I lead my life on a daily basis. And I don't see any connection between that and whether I'm makbid on, you know, Mahadrin butter over the Chag or not. I, I don't. I don't see that. But, the, but the shok, only because I've I've you know, written spoken about this numerous occasions. The Yerushalmi spoke about at first. The Yerushalmi is actually slightly ambiguous, but nevertheless, it talks about seven days. We presume it says Seves Mechava about being makpid uh, in terms of uh, of e- eating food batara. Then we applied it to get a much more watered down level to to Papalta, but as I mentioned, and, and the Bali Machshava, the, the, the Rav Desler, Rav Aaron Kot, etc., uh, what I choose as my Kabbalah is up to me. Nobody tells me what that is. That can be anything. Um, uh, and most often it's not Ben Adon Mokim. I mean, the Shulchanach doesn't say you have to take on that type of Kabbalah. It's saying there's a general practice of taking on something for these days. Right? There's a couple of things which most of us, the idea of you know, eating papalta where we live, Baruch Hashem, isn't something which we're struggling with. Um, so that's hardly a big issue. So it's up to you how you own that. Can I just add um, one? I, I'm I'm saying, I, I, I always saw that it. in the realm of the ritual, in the realm of... No. I, that's all right. I never saw it in the realm of the personal. I, I, I actually think, like like you said... I'll send all like the, the, the on example it, meaning... It. It's fine. I, I don't have a problem with it, but I'm saying... The, the, like you said, the way we were raised and the halakhic sources we have are, are very much about that. And so uh, I, that's I, a struggle for me. That's a challenge for me. Molly. I want to just add one thing about chumras. Um, when I teach about chumrah, um, so there's a beautiful sikha by Rav Amitav where he talks about chumrah. Um, and his bottom line um, is he, sa- he he talks about, you know, silly, not, silly, I retract that word, but like, you know, people who take on Chumrah that they're not ready for kind of thing. Um, and then he says, okay, so then when is it meaningful to take on a Chumrah? And he says, it's meaningful to take on a Chumrah when that Chumrah is meaningful for you. And then he tells a story mm-hmm. about how when he was in um, the concentration camp, he had two shirts. And so he he wore one shirt all week and kept the other shirt in his pocket. And then he wore the other shirt just on Shabbos. Um, and that ke'ilu, he uses that as an example of a, a chumrah that was extremely meaningful to him because it was the only way for him to mark Shabbos um, in that environment and in that circumstance. And so for me, and, and I also always think about Rav Shurla was once asked, somebody was going into an environment that was less than, uh, I forgot what it was, maybe it was uh, being a, in a youth group or whatever it was, a of environment that was, they were afraid that their spiritual level was going to fall. And they asked, how can I like uh, make sure that doesn't happen? He said, choose one, I don't even know if you use the word chumrah, right? But like one diuk halacha that's going to remind you, that's going to be meaningful for you, that's going to remind you of who you want to be, right? And so it's the same attitude towards chumrah. You know, it, it, it could be ritualistic, but only if that ritual is meaningful for you on some level. So I, I, I think that like, if what we're, you're saying, and I agree with you, that like, I mean, listen, some, sometimes we do want to improve our benadum lamako. You know, there are things that we've been lax on that we want to get better at. But but when we're thinking about benadum lechavero, there are many ways to like 
even if it's first of all, it could be like you know the Hareini Mikabel lets me, you know mitzvat uh, what is it ve'ahavtilarecha kamocha that like is like mm-hmm. going around right now. You could do that every morning. Going um, around is being Darizal said I've been saying every morning for twenty five yeah, years. There's this beautiful around. everyone should say yeah, it. Yeah, the tefillah of every before davening is such a beautiful thing to say. Mm-hmm. There are so many ways to do that, but even if it is a um, a ritual chumrah, I'm going to put my tzitzis out. And every time I look at my tzitzits, it's a reminder that, like, I want to walk in the derech of Hashem, and the way to walk in the derech of Hashem is is that the next person I speak to, I'm going to spe- try to speak to nicely or, or or speak to in a friendly way, right? There's a way to tie the the quote unquote rituals to meaningful behavior for yourself that that can transcend the realm of command Okay, uh, I want to. I think we should stop here. We'll wrap it up here. Um, I hope uh, all of you found this as, uh, I guess, not only informative, but uh, beneficial as we all prepare for Elul together. I want to thank Rabbi Mali Brabski and Rabbi Johnny Solomon for joining us today. And I want to thank my son Patakha for making our music. Uh, as we wrap up, you can find us on Facebook if you want to respond or share some of your thoughts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Ruben Spolter. Have a great week, everybody.